Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! Hello and welcome to another episode of Almost Major, where we talk about the many major studios and the films they released. My name is Kevin Tudor. I'm here with Bryden Doyle. Hello. And Charlie Nash. Hello. And joining us again is Michelle O'Connell. How are you? I'm doing all right. <laughs> all right. Uh, today we are talking about Frailty from 2001. Uh, this premiered at a film festival I've never heard of at the Deep Ellum Film Festival in November 2001. Uh, it opened in the U.S. slash Canada April 12th, 2002 on 1,497 theaters, and it placed at number nine opening weekend. Budget of $11 million, opening weekend $4.2 million, domestic gross of $13.1 million, and overall gross of $19.9 million. Top five films this weekend is uh, Changing Lanes, Panic Room, The Sweetest Thing, Ice Age, and The Rookie. Hmm. A much better top five than than we had for the, the last one, or at least there's nothing as bad as, as Stepmom and Pat Adams. And that, I don't <laughs> yeah. think. There's Panic Room and Sweetest Thing, that enough. I'm going to watch Changing Lanes. I'm going to watch that garbage. It's oh, fine. I, yeah, that's not very good. But uh, And then the rookie only exists as a trailer line where the kid, kid when the kid goes, come on, Dad, bring the heat. And that's it. That's it. It doesn't exist as a real movie. Uh, number one song in the U.S. this week is Ain't It Funny, parentheses, murder remix, close parentheses, by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule. And <laughs> this is funny. Uh, number one song in Canada is Moving On by Boomtang. They're a Canadian dance remix group with the best group name ever boomtang do they have like a monument to them in canada bryden uh not yet <laughs> not yet okay okay <laughs> frailty was nominated at the illustrious award show the fangoria chainsaw awards for best score and best wide release film and it won for best screenplay Hmm. Uh, plot description from Google. One day, a widowed blue-collar worker has a revelation. He must destroy those revealed to him as demons. He then begins the serial killings of God's Hand Killer across Texas, but he also has two young sons, the youngest of whom idolizes him and believes in the cause, while his oldest brother is revolted and can't bring himself to stop his father. Twenty years later, the elder son walks into a police station and confesses. Yeah, that works. Uh, written by Brent Hanley, his only feature script, he uh, eventually wrote an episode of Masters of Horror titled Family, directed by John Landis. Moving on, directed by <laughs> Bill Paxton. This is his first directed film. After this, he directed The Greatest Game Ever Played in 2005, Bryden's favorite movie. What did you think about that? I didn't I'm pretty know. sure you gave that like one star. <laughs> one and a half. Maybe, okay, it's, maybe okay. it's harsh given given all the other crap I watched, especially during the pandemic, uh, which is when I watched Greatest Game Ever Played and was like thinking, uh, what does Disney Plus have? This was before they got like the star feature which had like which had all like the touchstone and like <laughs> other Fox properties. But um yeah, uh, that one I just don't remember being like especially interesting. I remember like Shia LaBeouf having like a like a really annoying like kid sidekick who's like uh who's like his caddy or whatever. I remember just finding that really boring but uh i don't know it's 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 sad that paxton only directed uh two movies but luckily he had like many great performances to, to gift us uh that, that had to be a job for hire right like maybe i, I mean well, let me see I, I, maybe he's a big golf guy i mean yeah maybe i shouldn't I be really presumptuous no yeah because with frailty i watched the behind the scenes where it's just like he got the script and he was just like, yeah, who's going to direct this? I don't know. It should be somebody who's like really good with the actors. And they're just like, hmm. And he was just like, it should be somebody who blah, blah, blah. And, and he was just like, 
I think it should be me. And then that's pretty much what happened. But no, pa- I mean, Paxton, yeah, like, just like a fantastic fucking actor. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, my God. Good Lord. Yeah. Speaking of starring Bill Paxton as dad. He has no name. Uh, prior to this, Aliens in 1986. Banger. Near Dark in 1987. Banger. One False Move and The Vagrant and Trespass in 1992. Banger, banger, banger. True Lies in 1994, Titanic in 1997, A Simple Plan in 1998, After This in the music video for Eat You Alive by Limp Bizkit in 2003, Hell Yeah, uh, Plays Coconut Pete in Club Dread in 2004, he was on the HBO show Big Love from 2006 to 2011, and Edge of Tomorrow in Nightcrawler in 2014. He's so good in those last two. Did anyone else here watch Big Love? I'm curious. No, I really shouldn't. No, but I want to. Well, you, you, I, if you do, I would watch the first three seasons and then just abandon ship because, yeah, he's great throughout that show. And I will say, even when that show declines, it's fascinatingly off the rails. But Mm -hmm. yeah, like uh, it was one of those things where my parents were watching it, told me to watch it, and then I got really hooked into that show. It's a very fascinating, very complex, at least for the first three seasons, outlook on polygamy. And he, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's a pretty, it's a pretty fascinating show. Yeah. Right now I'm just looking up who created it. And this seems to be definitely their biggest thing that they've done. Is anyone here familiar with Bill Paxton's band? No, No. I didn't know we did music. He was in a uh, new wave band in the 80s uh, called Martini Ranch. It was him and another guy. And they had a music video for a song they did called Reach that James Cameron directed and Catherine Bigelow co-stars in. It's like a Western. Wow. Um, Mother of God. Yes, it is not a very good song. Um, I I remember the chorus. uh, It's like, I heard them say, guess it ain't your lucky day or something like that. (laughs) Hell yeah. uh, Yeah, it, it, uh, no, but the song kind of sucks. That's so cool, though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does the he does the singing on the Coconut Pete songs in Club Dread, and yeah, yeah. And he also one of his last roles uh, before he passed was he was the lead on the Training Day CBS show, where it, I didn't see a single episode of it, but I did see the trailer where he's he has a big bag of money that he's stealing. He's like, as a great philosopher once said, more money, more problems. And I was like, hell oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> he makes everything. I'm not gonna better. watch it, but you know what? Have fun over there. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey has Fenton Meeks uh, prior to this, Dazed and Confused in 1993, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation in 95, uh, Time to Kill in 1996. He should have won his Oscar for this instead of, we'll talk about it, Contact in 1997. After this, Tiptoes in 2002, Killer Joe in 2011, won Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club in 2013. Uh, y'all remember the Dark Tower? Remember that? Uh, in Serenity in 2019. Saw the Dark Tower in theaters. Anyways. Also starring Powers Booth, playing Wesley Doyle. Uh, Bryden, is he, uh, is he kin to you? We do not <laughs> claim him as one of our own. <laughs> were you, were you just doing it in the, the, the Devil's Rejects? Was he kin to you, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Matt O'Leary and Jeremy Sumter, Peter Man, Peter Pan himself. Uh, was it Matt O'Leary you were saying is the first guy that's killed in death sentence? Yeah, Matt O'Leary. Yeah, he's he often like kind of he's often been cast as like sort of scummy guys and like as he's like grown up and everything. Like he's a drug dealer and uh, the first season of Santa Clara to Diet. He's like mm. I think I saw the trailer for Welcome to Marwin and he's like one of the guys who beats up Steve Carell. Which is God wild. damn. Yeah. I also looked up because Jeremy Sumter's sporadically appeared in certain things I've seen throughout the years, and I looked him up. He does have an Instagram, and half of it is him advertising bang energy drinks, <laughs> which I think is weirdly funny. <laughs> I mean, that's what Peter Pan would do if he was if he was actually real. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think he stays so young? <laughs> he also I saw well, the other thing I saw on his Instagram, and I was honestly like if I had the time, there was one part where he had like some sort of commentary behind a paywall of rewatching my first movie, Frailty. But you had to like subscribe to something, and I was just kind of like, I'm not paying. For I'm that. sure. I'm so. sure that's. I'm sure that's a fascinating lesson. Yeah. Oh, one other thing about um, I never finished Santa Clarita Diet, but Matt O'Leary's episode is actually very funny. Where like they're like they're looking for people for Drew Barrymore to eat and everything uh, because she like becomes like a zombie and everything and. Olafon's like, all right, we'll get like this this pot dealer or anything because I'm sure he's like just scum of the earth. Then like Timothy Olafon like sits down and says like, so like, why did you get into this just for the money? He's like, well, no, I was actually like doing it to support my family and like all this other stuff. And then like Olafon likes him too much, so he can't bring himself to kill him and everything. He's like, he's actually like a really nice guy. It's like really kind of funny. How <laughs> <laughs> it all just spirals. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's kind of like a funny subversion of Opal where he just showing up as like a dude with like a shitty goatee or and all that stuff. But yeah, anyways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, trivia. When asked why the axe used by his character has the name Otis carved into the handle, Paxton stated that he wanted the axe to have its own personality and to be unique. He found the name in Pasadena when he was there scouting locations for film. Uh, Paxton met a homeless man and offered to give him some money. The homeless man did not want charity, so Paxton instead offered to buy the use of the man's name for the movie. The homeless man's name was Otis. Huh. That's interesting. Mm. Um... At the very end... I'm not uh, sure how to feel about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a little strange. <laughs> you don't want my money, I'll buy your name. Uh, I'd, either ways, it's interesting. Uh, kind of spoiler warning right here, folks, so if you haven't seen it, uh, just hit 30 seconds. Uh, at the oh, okay, very I'll, end, I'll hit 30 seconds because I haven't seen the movie. No, I'm trying. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> at the very end, the two boys that ride scooters across the, stre- across the screen are the young versions of Finn and Adam Meeks. Uh, Paxton liked it because it was almost like a weird Twilight Zone world. Didn't didn't clock that when I watched it. Last I saw night. the kids. I did not even. It's so far away that like I didn't even register that it was mm-hmm. supposed to be them. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Um, this film is set in Texas, and I believe the city is Meat, Texas, which is uh, fake, and has three Texas-born actors as top-billed stars: Bill Paxton, McConaughey, and Powers Booth. Uh, loosely based on the case, I think very loosely, uh, on the case of the American serial killer Joseph Kalinger, who murdered three people and tortured four families. He committed these crimes with his 13-year-old son between 1974 and 1975 in New Jersey. He claimed insanity and claimed God had told him to kill, which, I mean, how many serial killers back in the day said that? Um, the script originally featured a reference to the boys wanting to go see the movie Alien, but Paxton changed it to the Warriors to avoid a reference to his own work in Aliens. Well, that's cute. But that's funny, too, because Paxton worked with Walter Hill, which is really cool. Uh, yeah. He also produced yeah. Alien. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah he, and he co-wrote Aliens. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Jeez, that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, this is 
uh, top top tier below the barrel IMDb trivia, but I'm putting it right here. Uh, allegedly, the title big allegedly the title frailty refers not to the slow disintegration of the family, but to the very low budget of the film. This is absolutely not fucking true. I don't know. What the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> no. <laughs> not as true as the Jared Leto injected water thing from Requiem for a Dream. Oh my god. Did <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it on our app? We, we definitely. You did what? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Lionsgate considered changing the title to God's Hands, which is a phrase spoken in the film, but Paxton and the writer insisted against this. Yeah, that would... Isn't that a... Oh, God, what's his name? You know what? I don't want to know his name, but the doctor that was a big Trump supporter, he put out... He had, like, his own movie called, like, Gifted Hands or whatnot. That's what it makes it sound like. Ben, ben Carson? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's based on him. He was a, uh, uh, like... He was like a top contender for a little while for a strange, strange oh. period. He was like the top contender against Trump and then, yeah, went away. I remember yeah. in 2016, I went to go see Yola Tango in some, at some small venue in New Hampshire and we were in a parking garage. I was with a few friends and a car just completely just it was it was barely recognizable as an automobile just ben carson bumper stickers on the doors on the bumper on everything and usually we don't like pay attention to that and i had a friend who had a cell phone who was like hold on hold on and just like walked alongside <laughs> of it just taking multiple photos we were just like you you cannot expect us to do anything less i mean like it, it's the it ben must carson have been mobile. like um what is that? The campaigners and taxi driver when they're like, no, it needs to say we are the people, not we are the people. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not fight. <laughs> um, okay, but, but, but apparently the sounds of frogs at nighttime were recorded at Ivan Reitman's house. Sure. What? Um, yeah. Uh, he gets a thanks. James Cameron gets a thanks, and somebody else pretty big gets a thanks. Uh, thought I had. Yeah, oh, I do have it right here. Bill Paxton planned to have the demon's crime shown when Dad first touched them. At James Cameron's suggestion, he changed this so the information was a surprise that comes at the end. Cameron said to him, you gotta remember film is so literal that you're gonna split the audience and a lot of them are gonna believe that Dad really is seeing all the stuff and you don't want that to happen because you want them to go with Fenton. And lastly, at the time, Frailty marked Lionsgate's largest investment in an in-house production. You the agent in charge of the case? That's right. What can I do for you? I'm here because I can't live with what I know anymore. Listen, this may sound a little bit crazy, but I know who the God's Hand killer is. What makes you think that? He hadn't even heard me out yet, and already you doubt me. They were raised to obey their father. Go to see Homer. To love him. To trust him. Night, boys. Sleep tight. Don't let those bed bugs bite. Until... Wake up. I've got something to tell you. Hey, what's wrong? There are demons among us. I can see the demons while other people can. I'm scared, Dad. Nothing that crazy could be real. The angel told me that God would be sending weapons. Maybe you just dreamed it. Maybe you're not right in the head. God will be sending a list of the first seven demons. These are people's names. And they'll look like people. They're not. Dad made up this whole thing. Do you understand? Well, if it has to be done, it has to be done. Is that true? Why would I make it up? It's all a big lie. I don't want to run away. You are hiding something from me. What is it you think I'm hiding? When I lay my hands on them, I'll reveal them for what they truly are. I got a pretty good idea of them bodies are. I'll tell. Craziest thing I've heard in a long time. Ah! 
Check the Rose Garden. I don't believe a word of it. But it's true. Bill Paxton. Those were demons. Why can't you see that? Matthew McConaughey. Tell me the truth. Sometimes truth defies reason. You're crazy! Only demons should fear me. You're not a demon, are you? Uh, so, initial thoughts, I will go ahead and go. I saw this about when it came out. I remember my brother being real big into it and also being just a huge Bill Paxton fan. Uh, I remember watching it. I remember loving it. I had the DVD. I have the Blu-ray now that I got for like 50 cents at a pawn shop. Um, it's unbelievably stacked for no reason. I remember really loving it back in the day and re-watching it last night for the first time in, I'd say, like 15 plus years, I think. It is just a capital F fine movie to me. It's directed fine. Bill Paxton is very, very good in it, but everything else, it just kind of, I just mean the surprises as far as the way that it's shown, the way that it's told, it's just very, it's, it's, it's a very, I watched it. And if I was not recording for this podcast, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then somebody was just like, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's fine. There's not much there, there, but when you're watching it, it's like, it's, it's a thing where you're watching it. It's, it's good while you're watching it, and then when as soon as it's done, you just kind of forget about it. It's any time that people mention The Martian, and they're just like, oh, that movie's so great. And I was just like, yeah, I watched it. It was good. And then as soon as the credits ended, I forgot everything I just watched. <laughs> not, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I did not expect comparisons to The Martian to appear in this episode. <laughs> Do you expect any less? I haven't thought about The Martian in, like, eight years. <laughs> I'm a Ridley Scott apologist and uh, same. Yeah. yeah, there are people yeah. that really ride for that movie, and I was just like, yeah, I had a fun time. As soon as the credits ended, I was just like, wait, why am I on this couch? What, what, what's this I forgot about that I... scene in The Martian where everyone's at NASA's telling uh, Matt Damon, just pray harder, and then you'll get off Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to grow potatoes. Maybe if you maybe if you wanted to pray harder or kill all the demons you've been. Um, I'm just imagining aliens locking Matt Damon in a torture chamber basement. <laughs> you know, aliens in the Martian. <laughs> only no. oh, here's the here's the first Bill Paxton. Uh, only aliens should fear me. You're not alien, are you? Yeah. Uh, I remember Incredible. that line. The that except with demons instead of aliens i remember that line i rewatched the trailer it's the last stinger of the trailer all the tv spots i remember that line for like 20 years i don't know why but yeah it's fine it's totally good i do know that this movie it is 22 years old now and it's just like gotten such a huge like cult following and people really really dig it it's very uh down south southern gothic movie you know people really dig that i'm i'm usually not the biggest fan of like uh, southern gothic type horror movies and i remember the last one i watched was like sister sister which is a bad comparison wolf. um no yeah wolf yeah um but yeah it's fine i i love bill paxton i've never seen him in a movie where i was just like oh you're you're trying it's just he's just always great and i think his dynamic with the kids is very good and mcconaughey is doing about what you expect um if it wasn't for the voiceover i'd be like did he spend like one day on set and then his face is on the poster <laughs> i remembered the twist but i didn't remember the the real details of the twist so when it did happen i was like oh yeah i forgot that it's kind of you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's a very first time script writer type of horror movie at this time you know it's very 
very similar to like a saw where it's just like we're going to throw everything we can at the script and have just like this major twist of whenever investors read it, they'll have to fund it type of thing. And it did, and he never really wrote anything. But you know what? It's fine. Frailty, check it out, I guess. Uh, Bryden, initial thoughts. Yeah, uh, I'd seen this in high school. Because I think I uh, I think I talked about it off mic before we started recording that like I think I heard about this because Ebert was a huge fan of it. Um, and I like, was like, very uh, very interested in what he had to say about stuff so like even if i wasn't entirely into horror movies at the time this was like something that like that was enough to spur me to watch it uh and i remember the twist uh really getting to me at the end uh and like you know recount i think i've recounted the whole plot to my mom <laughs> like which is like one of those <laughs> things where I, I would do that when i was really passionate about a movie um yeah i this was a I, I actually was like, and sometimes with these movies that we've covered on the show, like it's like stuff I haven't seen in forever and I'm kind of worried like if it's going to hold up or it's like going to diminish it all. And this was actually like something that was about as good as I remembered. Like I really oh, like this. I really like this quite a bit. Um, it's a very, uh, just like direct, sometimes when you talk about directorial debuts, it's like, um, and I know some people sometimes say this, but like movies that actors direct, it's like sometimes it's not always like the most visually interesting. Like sometimes it's more focused just on performance or writing or what, what have you, but um, I think this movie is very striking to look at throughout um, the sort of like blue, misty quality to like some like the way when they're going into the graveyard and encountering like all the supernatural elements and like the, the shafts of light that are like are, are pouring in through like the holes uh, and also placing you in a child's perspective uh, too. I mean, like really like like when they're scoping out, I think like the second victim, like the old man uh, by the by the grocery store, like put it, like it's really tense. It's like, you know, you're like panning from like the man to like Bill Paxton, the driver's seat, and then back to like back and forth is like, they're sort of as Madame Leary's just sort of like, not really be thrown into a situation. He doesn't really want to want to be thrown into the way also too, like it is very heightened in like some of the looks and everything. Like when like you get like the, the, like the heavenly ray of light shining down on the barn that like, uh, that Paxton's going to like, used to like find like that's his tools shot. that he needs um yeah it's so good but also i think like the way that the movie does have like this very grounded quality and performance and also just like the way it's the shots are set up um that like is really it becomes more like nauseating as like you as like they sort of go deeper into like this this mission and everything like i think like it really establishes in like a, a short amount of time like the relationship between like the father and son and their the father and his sons like it's really and Paxton is so good too, how he is able to like shift between the different modes where he is like very warm and gentle and everything and saying like, Oh, we'll like go after this. We'll, we'll, you know, you're having trouble with your math and everything. We'll, we'll tackle that joke this week after I'm done my work and everything. And it's, and he's so believable in that moment. And like sort of the wild eyed mania that he sort of like finds himself in when he's like, you know, or conviction rather, you know, cause I don't, don't want to make this like, you know, uh, it's not a mental health thing, even though like, you know, his son says like, well, maybe you're just not right in the head. Um, but like sort of like the smile that he has, like when he's like saying, oh, you're going to believe what uh, you're believing what I'm going to do and everything like the conviction. It's like so scary. And I think and again, it's like the, the stuff where like that stuff that's set up as like their their normality, like at the start with their relationship, it becomes scarier when like after they're killing demons and everything, like when Fenton comes in and like his like younger brother and like his dad are like watching TV in the background and they're still in shadows. So it is like very moody looking where like they're only lit by the TV and everything, but like, it's also like they're giggling and like Fenton is just like pissed. Like what the fuck? Like this is like, why is like everyone acting so normal about this? This is so scary. And the kid performances, I think are, this, this is another movie with very good kid performances. I think like, you know, Matt O'Leary just like being very skeptical, like sort of like narrowing his eyebrows and like everything that Bill Paxton says. And then some Jeremy Sumter is like, he's 
so creepy because he's not playing it like a typical creepy kid. He's like, he's so happy go lucky. And it's about like the most horrifying mm-hmm. situations or anything. It's just like, holy shit, this kid is a like a low key sociopath. Like, what the? And then it becomes like high key socio, a high key uh, villainy at the end. Um, but yeah, no, I, I really liked it. I think we'll get into like the twists and everything. I must say, I, I, it's not so much that I like have a hard time buying it. It's just I, 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 cause I, th- I think it still works generally pretty well. I think I'm, I think we were just like I was talking in our own group chat. I was like a little bit confused about how some of the information was conveyed, and I think like I had like it's maybe something. I don't know if it's just my own like inadequacy, inadequacy of like comprehending things sometimes, but also like Paxton maybe conveys some of the information better, not so much through, not so much through like visual stuff but also like through dialogue and sometimes it's like the clarity isn't always matching it up between those two maybe this will get clearer whether when we actually get to the twist and everything but uh for the most part i think this is like a very a very strong debut film and it, it, it makes me sad that paxton didn't direct more in like the remaining years that he had but you know for what we have i think it's quite strong um i'll cede the floor to everyone else uh yeah uh michelle initial thoughts yeah, so I'd seen this movie once before. I want to say around when I was in college, but I can't quite remember. Um, and I really liked it at the time, for the most part, while thinking the twist worked well enough on its own, but maybe robbed the movie of some of its ambiguity. Um, this time around, I really liked the movie. Um I'm really struck by just how varied Bill Paxton's career was as an actor. Like he's so skillful at, at playing live wires and scoundrels and cowards and average men. But uh, you know, I, I think what really strikes me is that when he got to play more leading roles, I'm thinking of things like um, One False Move and uh, Trespass and A Simple Plan and this. Uh, he's very much this like kind of average figure who is deeply flawed and forced into some sort of a moral conundrum that he, uh, in one way or another, is failing. Um, or I, I guess one false move, it's maybe a little more complicated. But yeah, this one, I, I feel like it plays on really all of that. The 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 you know the patriarch who is trying to be a a solid, decent, and even loving father but who's gripped by this uh thing that he can't shake and that he fully believes can only be the truth and um uh you know i i'm really struck by how much it 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 plays the horror of that the horror of a father who still loves his children and and is uh able to convince them to do these terrible things not out of uh weaknesses necessarily but out of just full conviction that he's doing something like on behalf of god and the horror of that i like mcconaughey a lot in this i think that it's a very tricky role that plays on i think that late 90s run of films that he did like maybe uh contact a time to kill and and amistad where He's kind of this charging forward uh, voice of decency, trying to bring something forward. And then you see he's the other kind of McConaughey character, the predatory uh, character that we've seen before, but with uh, something else about him. Uh, I like Powers Booth a lot in the in the movie. I uh, agree with everything that that uh, Bryden said about the look of the film, like that the the shift between this heavenly, ungodly light, uh, you know, you know, well, half heavenly, half demonic, and 
the more grounded quality of like you can't really get out of this like you can't get uh get out of this very um you know this isolated rural uh area like that that's something that also struck me more this time around and yeah the ending it it's very much a, a kind of a standard early 2000s twist ending but i think how it actually played for me this time knowing what was coming and trying to take it in consideration with the rest of what had happened before um it's possible it's not a betrayal but just a uh a new understanding of it that is more horrific uh but yeah we'll talk about that uh, a little later we just gotta just real quick charlie before we get to your initial thoughts we just gotta talk about how uh when he sees the second angel underneath the car and just how bad shit that scene is yeah, it's really that's the most wild visual flourish of the whole film right better doubt yeah. yeah i also love how it cuts to like the wide shot of like it's like <laughs> it's, it's like this, underneath this, the car it's <laughs> like all like just the regular world noises are going it's like yeah 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 because mm-hmm. when the first angel visits him my first thought was like isn't it like just like a light or like some type of figure and it's just like a light that like shines off of one of his trophies or something like that and I thought that was cool where it's just like well you could interpret that as he thinks he sees something but you don't really see something so that brings it to that and then the second one is just like oh no 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 no. he fully sees shit but anyways Charlie initial thoughts. I don't even know where to begin with this thing because I I did I I I think as a piece of storytelling, it is very, very effective. And I think Paxton is very economical in his direction and not. Yeah, like I I think the film has so much empathy for every character for about 80 percent of it. And then, yeah, I for the record, I had also seen this before. And I remember being shocked by the ending in high school and also feeling a little. I mean, Michelle, you use the word betrayal like I felt like it was betrayed what I remembered incorrectly was that the twist implies that this is good and the but my grasp of reading films from an aesthetic level didn't fully grasp that it ends with a bit of a darker note and I still don't know how to take all of it i really don't like i I, i'm looking forward to talking about it because i think this movie wants it both ways i think the film itself is trying to present something complicated but in the way that the plot plays out makes it more of a gotcha but also doesn't i'm honestly like still still fighting over certain aspects of it Mm -hmm. in my head and um But at the same time, and it's not fair to compare and contrast two movies against each other, but I can't help but point out, and I messaged this to Kevin and Bryden in our chat earlier, as I thought about how much I loved Knock at the Cabin, which came out earlier this year, which just came out. You know, last time I watched this movie, that thing did not exist. I also read the book that was based on Cabin at the End of the World, which I hated, and then I loved Shyamalan's adaptation, and there were a lot of parallels there, and the only reason I'm bringing that up is I know a lot of people have had similar complaints about how thorny Shyamalan's film was that uh, I completely loved. And then this film is trying to do some of the same things. And I felt like I was still uncomfortable with the many thematic elements that it was trying to tackle in certain ways. And they're two completely different films, two different, completely um, different approaches to certain subject matter. But I can't help but, think about how 
those two films were wrestling in my mind the entire time. And I still don't know what this film, like I think as a piece of entertainment and as a piece of compelling storytelling, this thing works and completely hit all the right notes and watching it a second time made it simultaneously more fascinating and more confounding to me all at once. And I don't know entirely what my feelings are. I think I gave it a three out of five on Letterboxd because I'm just like, uh, sure. Like, 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 cause, cause it's uh-huh. effective. It's effectively shot, you know, written, acted, all of that. But I don't think we can get into my conundrums with it until we get into more spoiler filled territory. So I'm just going to leave it with that. Sure. Yeah. Let's get into the plot early on so we can start talking about them. Twists. Finn makes visits FBI agent Wesley Doyle, claiming that his brother Adam is the culprit in the God's Hand serial killing. Just a great name for a serial killer, I'm just going to say. As somebody who names serial killers, I like that. Uh, Finton says Adam has committed suicide, prompting Finton to fulfill a promise to bury his brother in the public rose garden in their hometown of Thurman. Thurman Merman. He begins to tell Doyle about the boy's childhood and suggests that the bodies of the God's Hands victim are buried in the rose garden. While children in the summer of 1979, their father told him that he has been visited by an angel and tasked by God with, quote-unquote, destroying demons disguised as human beings. I, I was very, not shocked, but I was just like, oh, wow, um, that that comes in like 10 minutes in. Like, I, I thought that we were going to get a lot more that I remembered, but it's like 10 minutes in where he's just like, okay, I'm not going to do any more Bill Paxton impressions, where he just comes in and tells them, like, uh, when they're already in bed. And then there's that great scene where um, Fenton thinks that... Um, that it was like all a dream or whatnot and then he drops him off at school and he's just like don't tell anybody what i told you about last night and and adam's like oh we won't we won't you know and then he has that realization that he's like oh shit this actually happened if i'm yeah i mean that just speaks to like how fucking fleet uh the storytelling is in this movie but also like just how like i mean like economy of storytelling and how quickly he moves through it but also how quickly he establishes like the dynamic between the family and everything where like they all trust each other and also the sense that like these kids have had to grow up fast and everything where like Matt O'Leary he like Fenton he's like cooking dinner and everything because her mom died in childbirth while giving birth to uh Adam and everything it's so like it is like it's these kids like who have had to like uh grow up a lot and they're being forced to do even more growing up because of their dad uh who is in charge of them and uh yeah no it's really striking too um how it like, gets shot and everything where like it is how quickly like, we also get, like, a lot of shots where it's, like, the three of them in, like, uh, together at, like, the table and everything before that, uh, the, the the news is broken. And then, like, a lo- pretty quickly after that, it's not, like, every shot and everything, but there are a lot of shots where it's just Adam and uh, his dad who are, like, in the frame as they're sort of, like, shared in, like, this, in this ideology. And then, like, Fenton's just, like, all by himself, just showing how stuck he mm-hmm. is. Uh, and it's, like, it's really, like, good, like, just, like, uh, character uh relationships like established through filmmaking and like blocking and stuff uh but yeah no um please continue yeah yes uh his dad's mission which must be kept secret their father is led to three tools an axe gloves and a pipe he receives a list of names from the angel as well he uh, incapacitates a woman with the pipe and brings her home to kill with the axe when he lays his hand on her he claims to see a vision of her evil and then kills her and makes the boys help him bury her body in the rose garden just typical kid shit uh finn is horrified and believes his father insane adam claims that he sees the vision and supports their father yeah just the you're getting all this meticulous like gotta find the tools i got a list of names and then it just kind of just cuts to i have a woman bound at our house right now just i do really enjoy just how the 
like you were saying, the the economy of how it's it just is told on just just a great speed where it's just like immediately there's that and it also just reinforces how the the brothers are just like wow this shit is really happening like it there's really no not no time to breathe when stuff like that happens and i really like that yeah it's it's interesting how like the first three murders are like cut into differently where first it's like you see it like from like the window where it's like the 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 nurse being carried over the shoulder and like it's like sort of seeing the aftermath of it and then you get the flashback to like Paxton like nervously approaching the house and I think Paxton plays like the plays the nervousness like well which makes it it all scarier but then like the second time it's like they capture the old guy and then it like whip pants into him being kidnapped and then the third time it's like we got another name and then it like just cuts to like a body like being plopped in the dungeon and everything it's just like it how quickly like this just becomes like a a routine for them and, and, and also you get like a sense of how Adam you know, planning the seeds for, like, the reveal of the movie and everything, when, like, he says, like, hey, Dad, look, I have a name of de- of demons to kill, too. And it's, like, isn't this, like, a kid who's just bullying you at school? And it's, like, no. <laughs> and then, and then, <laughs> that scene is the one really funny scene of this movie. <laughs> it is it is very funny, but also it's, like, oh, I think this, like, maybe plants some seeds for what kind of person this kid's gonna grow up to yeah. be. Yeah, it's really good. Steve yeah. Buscemi and Billy Madison. Oh my god, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Just McConaughey growing up and being like, thank god I called that guy. That yeah. guy. <laughs> well, and there was one thing that I didn't realize until afterwards where you first meet McConaughey and he's, uh, the first thing he says is he talks to Powers Booth and he's like, is this your mother in this picture? And he's just talking about it and then that comes back to pay where am i at after telling doyle about the first killing doyle drives them to thurman this doesn't say it in the plot description but uh matthew mcconaughey has um stolen an ambulance and uh gotten his brother's body and they were just and the fbi person is just like yeah, they're not going to char- charge you with anything just bring back the ambulance <laughs> which that's pretty lenient um on the way, Doyle tells Fenton that his mother has been murdered by somebody that was never caught. Fenton then tells Doyle how they took the second victim in broad daylight with his father insisting God would blind any witnesses. Uh, one night, Fenton's father tells him, after praying for the angel to visit Fenton for his lack of faith, the angel instead visited him and told him something bad about Fenton. Uh, he makes uh, Fenton dig a hole and Fenton abandons all faith in God. Their father makes a hole in the cellar and moves the shed on top of it. Um... Yeah, I've that that's a big asshole my man had to do. And I'm pretty sure around this time is where we get the only demon should fear me. You're not a demon, are you? Yeah. During the third episode, I don't know what that means, Finn escapes from the cell and runs to the sheriff who takes him back home to quiet Finn's apparent ramblings. The sheriff looks in the cellar but finds it empty as his leave. His father kills him and is angry with Finn for making him murder a human and not a demon. After burying the body, Finn's father tells him the angel told him Finn was a demon. To save him and encourage him to have faith, he locks Finn in the cellar for over a week. Finn claims to have been enlightened, and his father releases him to carry out the next killing. Very interesting about that, because 1,000% he's lying about that just to get out. <laughs> I, or maybe, I don't know, but it doesn't show anything, but more than likely, because he definitely seems to be skeptical the entire time, and never sees any visions. So, What did we think of the shot? of just his face it's very minimalist but oh, just the so face good. in the yeah that's wild. The, in the darkness it's that was a it's funny how like yeah how 
minimalist and how bold it is at the same time just that 100%. one yeah 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 i also think like the moment when like after they killed the sheriff um or after paxton kills the sheriff i mean that is like one of the moments that stuck with me like since the movie where he's like his voice is like crack is like because you have no faith and then like uh and he <laughs> <Yeah. raises. laughs> sorry i'm laughing because it's funny to do Paxton impressions but but it is really anguishing where like he like raises the axe and then like just collapses and everything and it is like Michelle, you're talking about like he Paxton is like one of the great actors that playing like morally compromised people and everything and like making oh, you yeah. see all the different sides of it. Um, yeah, so good. Finn cooperates with his father to take the next victim, but alerts him just before his father hits the man with the pipe, nearly blowing the scheme. Um, this is the first guy that you really actually get to see them before they're captured, and he's like just top tier shit back. <laughs> he's like screaming at his wife and whatnot. Um, in the cellar, Finn readies to kill the man with the axe, but kills his father instead. As he tries to release the man, Adam takes up the axe and kills the man after all. While burying the two men, Finn makes Adam promise to bury him in the garden if Adam ever quote-unquote destroys him. Doyle is puzzled by this phrasing since he said Adam killed himself. Quote-unquote, Fenton then reveals to Doyle that he is actually Adam. It is revealed that Adam killed Fenton, who had grown up to become the actual God's Hand killer, a series of unrelated murders not committed by Adam destroying demons. Doyle is horrified to see the number of graves in the Rose Garden. Flashbacks reveal that Adam did in fact share his father's visions of the crimes of those they abducted who were indeed demons. When Adam touches Doyle, a vision reveals that Doyle murdered his mother and he was on Adam's list. Adam kills him in a prepared grave as part of a long scheme to get him there. Should we talk about this? Like, because I, I, I mean, this was not something I had thought about when I saw the movie in high school, and it wasn't until like I'd listened to well, maybe the podcast "Suspense is Killing Us" or where they talked about this movie and. I did not even like them uh, like think to question what Adam was telling <laughs> telling uh, Doyle about like his whole plan. But like I think it and I I mean should we talk about this? I mean like it's like we're talking about like the unreliable unreliability of like, oh, yeah. the narrator. I guess mm -hmm. I mean it's something that I hadn't thought about because I I think I just like I was like well I think like the flashbacks are meant to be taken as such. But like then you think about like you know Adam like lying about like the list that he made when he was a kid of demons to kill and then also like him lying about like um Fenton like killing himself at the start of the movie and then he also says about to Doyle before he kills him you know they're gonna be looking for Fenton you know you're the last one on his list and, and then like strikes the axe I don't know how good of McConaughey that was but um uh, but then like pretty um, good. I so thought I guess he joined the zoom that was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um I guess that is like him like you know showing that like he is you know evil and like pinning this on his poor brother who like was like just thrown in this horrible situation um i, I don't know like it's, it's interesting again it's the thing where like it i had to like go back and like look at the scene like what does mcconaughey say exactly like i i didn't quite grasp it and i guess it's maybe i don't know if this is like a fault of just my own as like a viewer but like i wasn't entirely sure about pack how we were supposed to like distinguish between like truth and fabrication in the movie again like it's yeah. Yeah, I read the reveal where it's just like actually they were bad people to be real. Yeah. And Yeah. And if it was trying to show that this is Adam like making this up to try to justify it or something like that, I didn't read it that way. You could, but I feel like the supernaturalness of it all, it kind of ties into that, so I totally buy that this is actually he's actually able to see these visions and he thinks this thing and it's not just like a uh, mental illness or a uh, over stimulus of like religion and stuff like that. I, I see it as 1000%. This is real, but it's just supernatural. And that's kind of, I, that that's what I was saying previously in our chat. It was just like, I have 
not a problem with that, but it's just I have a lot of questions because it's just like, do you think it's yeah. necessary to show that they were actually bad people? That's the thing. Is the flashbacks justifying, arguably through the character's perspective, but also like that that that's what I wrestle with uh, exactly is it is showing but it's also telling it it boils down to me watching this and hating myself for thinking well if, why did it do this or if I did told this story I would do that which I don't like being that per you know like that sucks I don't like that part of myself you know like the other thing that I can't help but think of is the thing I forgot about is McConaughey's revealed to be a sheriff is that Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. He's yeah. yeah. He's revealed to be a sheriff. The FBI does not know this. And to be fair, he fed them this. But the one thing that I do think is interesting, and I don't even know if this was conscious or not in terms of what it's if it's trying to even say anything politically. But it is interesting to me that Paxton says he kills the sheriff and then says, I had to kill a real human tonight. This is the first time I've ever killed a man. And then, of course, McConaughey grows up to be a sheriff. Mm. And that on top of the ending where I think somebody brought it up earlier, but maybe it was before that we started recording, but you can add a different score to the final scene of this movie. And it could be read completely differently, you mm -hmm. know, like it's trying to say that this is also evil. And I think Michelle, you brought up and I, I agree with you that it's also trying to say this is sinister, but by showing us all of this stuff, it's like, so they are justified, but they are, evil at the same time is what I also really wrestle with. Like, I, I don't... I feel like the twist is adding a whole new commentary within the last less than ten minutes, which I'm totally fine with, but I'm also trying to grasp what it's entirely saying without... With, while also being like, it gets rid of these ambiguities before that I found interesting, and then it on, adds on to these new ambiguities, and I don't understand those ambiguities, so therefore I'm it's bad and confusing and murky, and therefore I don't like that. Which is why I'm wrestling with all of this so much, in a way that I'm like, okay, so I'm getting annoyed that it spells things out, and then it doesn't spell things out, and then... I'm confused. You know what I mean? Like I, which it, it's my own worst enemy. I'm becoming my own worst enemy and trying to get a grasp on this thing. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So I guess my read of it is that we could certainly have it where it is ambiguous as to whether the visions are real or not, um, where we only see, and I'm sorry if at any point, um, my cat is heard complaining in the background Hell loudly yeah. that I am still on a Zoom call. Um, <laughs> no. But yeah, sorry, um, it, 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 we could. <laughs> I lost I'm my so... my, my She in the she's oh. in the back lurking. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So nobody uh, nobody listening can see this, but she's climbing the back of my chair and trying to get at a movie poster behind me for an Edward G. Robinson movie. Um, <laughs> she's gonna get a we will update people. So uh, yeah, we could totally have Evett where it, there is this ambiguity of whether the visions were real. Uh, Paxton saying that he is seeing it, and one child saying that he sees it too, and the other saying that he doesn't, and just leaving it at that and have it. As, as this horror of like what has broken apart this family and one of them has continued, well, no, both of them have continued this in some form or another because they're both serial killers. Um, and that's, you know, horrific on, on its own and leaves you questioning what's real or not. But by showing that it is real, um, I don't think it's necessarily even that 
these murders are are justified because like what's justified like do we mm-hmm. like do we believe like any like I I, I personally am, am am not uh you know a death penalty person and this is mm-hmm. essentially putting you know death into the hands of a, a couple of people who claim that they're messengers of God and I think what the ending for me suggests is that what if God is bad like what if what if god like yeah yeah his test for you is is something that is going to drive a family apart uh is going to traumatize one child and have him completely broken apart from his family from his father from his uh brother uh and like push toward being an actual serial killer like that is the other thing like mm-hmm. he is unambiguously killing people and meanwhile the other one uh has continued along this path, but like at a pretty horrific cost. And I don't know that we can really say that, you know, God is helping him, but, but it's a possibility that, I mean, I, I know that the the movie probably openly references the, uh, you know, the Isaac story of God coming to mm-hmm. uh, Abraham and telling him to kill his son and then stopping him last minute. Um, you know, the, the, the implications of that story have always been kind of horrific to me, uh, like of the possibility of, uh, you know, a, a God that is testing you and pushing you to potentially kill your child and, uh, you know, someone who is willing to follow that for their faith. Uh, this is, I think, not really that far off from that, like someone who is willing to follow the voice of God of you have to kill these people. Like, why is this man the like the one who's being tested? Why is he someone who's like raising these two boys? Why is he the the chosen person to bring people out to a shack and 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 kill them? Like, there's basically my my the reason the the movie works for me is that it is it it's set in a world where God is not good. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. I like that a lot. And you're right yeah. too about like why is this guy you know the one. Uh, being like you know the figure of judgment and everything but also because especially because like i think one of the i don't know if it's one of the commandments i you know i you know i was raised christian and everything uh and i i still have like you know i still generally believe in god but like i think it is interesting like that like in the world of this movie like one of god's commandments is like you know well humans are not the ones to like judge other humans and everything like that's not what you're supposed to do and everything which is interesting and like it's like well wait then like what does that mean in this movie if like god is like telling this this person that he will be i mean you know, he's not like judging a, a ju- humans he's judging demons yeah oh yeah uh well, <laughs> that's like semantics it's like semantics then like yeah <laughs> but um yeah no um that's interesting and also just like to clarify watching the movie i was like oh it's like it is tragic that like you know fenton like does have like this moral compass at the start of the movie that it's just like completely like fucked and everything by everything he's gone through and everything i want to say kind of mad now about suspense is killing this making me confused about whether or not fenton was a serial killer like they were saying like i think like the movie's like pretty clear about that it's like so like the movie was clear like i'm like why did i doubt myself anyways i'm sorry yeah the the other thing is is that like so many people say that they're the horrible things that they're doing they're doing for god uh you know uh, we, we could think of God knows how many examples God knows how, um, you know, just, just today, like, what if that were the case? Does that suddenly make it good? Uh, probably not. Yeah. And have any of you seen the movie, the rapture with Mimi Rogers? I really need to see not that. Yet. No, I've meant to. That is about how God is an asshole in a way that 
it is not aiming for the same things that this movie is, but holy shit, did that movie blow me the fuck away. And if anyone's interested in other movies about similar themes, I would recommend that one. Kind of a side tangent, I'm sorry. No, that's, I know that's I mean, a little off topic. I, but, that's yeah. something I need to see. Also, the other thing I thought about, I wasn't thinking about when I first saw it in high school, like this is set in 1979. This is also around the time that like the... We talk about like the real serial killer, or, like about who this was like inspired by, but also like this is like a, the era of like you know uh, the summer, the son of Sam and everything, who claimed like he was like mm-hmm. you know being like commanded by like a demonic dog. Now, of course, he did also say that was bullshit, like he made it up and everything. But like um, you know, it's interesting that like that's also like I wonder if that's like also part of like the atmosphere of like this like religious like themed killings. Um, yeah, no, I just thought that was an interesting thing. Cool. Uh, also set right around the time of, of the rise of the religious right, just about. Oh sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Worse. yeah. Yeah. Wish it was more ambiguous because you still got a little bit more of the plot, just the last bit of it. And I will say, I wish it was a little bit more ambiguous because by the end, it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's it's all real. And I just wish it was like you could you could kind of read it either way because even with the flashbacks showing all of that, that's you know you could still be like unreliable narrator, sure, but. Um, this last little paragraph and then I'll uh, finish my thoughts is after Doyle's disappearance an agent who had previously met with Adam can't seem to remember his face the security tapes also inexplicably obscured by static whenever Adam is in view the FBI raid Fenton's house finding the God's Hands list and Doyle's badge which corroborate him being the killer agent Hall visits Adam Meeks a nearby county sheriff to tell him the Fenton was the killer upon shaking his hand Adam declares the agent a good man now then once you see the videotapes and all of that, it's just like, oh, this is 1,000% because this is not from McConaughey's yeah. viewpoint whatsoever. This is a third yeah, party and whatnot. Right. Exactly. It's a cool yeah. thing. I do like it. It's very cool uh, as a plot plot device, but I just wish it was just a little bit more ambiguous because I, if it was a little bit more ambiguous, the final shot would feel a lot more haunting to me because it's just like who knows who is telling the truth and who knows why they're doing this thing or, you know, who's out of their mind and who's telling the truth or something like that. But it, it, it would definitely make it feel more scarier to me. And then when it's just like, oh, it's all real, I'm just kind of like, ah, okay. I mean, it's cl- it's clever the way you're telling it, but I just wish it was just a bit more... Without telling the audience so much, it would make it more ambiguous and more scary to me. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, the the flashbacks also make me want to open a whole can of worms for some of it and not all of it. Like, like okay, we see the woman who I, I think the first murder is honestly the most effective. I also I, I, I one of the things that I think makes this film it's an R rated disturbing film, but we really only see aftermath, which I think makes it all the more powerful, like affliction, which we just talked about. It's more about the emotional impact of the violence as opposed to the violence itself. Mm-hmm. Even seeing Powers Booth murder his mom, it's the psycho effect of you only see the blood splatter, you don't see the impact, you see silhouettes of it. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. That's good. Um you have a woman next to a man with a slit throat for the first victim. And for, if we want to go with the whole God is an asshole thing, who knows that guy could have been an abusive piece of shit and she might've done it Mm. in self-defense or like whatever. And then you, but then you have next to that, like quick cut, like this man who they killed in the parking lot was a pedophile. And you see him luring a girl eating an ice cream cone in, and then luring her feet out, you know, feet, shot of him being pulled out of the car and it's like I feel like that shot was a okay, little much. It's a little much because it's equating a lot of different things and opening a lot of interpretations at the same time where I me 
being me was like just like well those two are those are two completely different things and like that's not even like i feel like the movies even like if, if, if you know like if i was talking to the movie this way the movie would be like whoa 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 like 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 calm down like like bring it down a little bit here but like you know like it, it's just, it opens a whole bunch of can of worms for me that it's kind of asking you to sit with in a way that's like we open this whole and, and and um but more importantly um the thing that i'm wondering that I don't know if it's kind of ingenious or kind of just cruel is that it completely abandons Fenton's perspective mm. in a way that is satisfactory on a plot level of you didn't see this twist coming, but does that also kind of erase any empathy coming from this character's perspective? Or is that also the point? It's so kind of I, cloudy. I feel- yeah, I I I hear what you're saying. I feel it is very much the point because it like I I think the end of his story is he killed his dad and mm-hmm. that he what you know wasn't able to I don't know. Like I you know at what point is he possessed by a demon or whatever it is that yeah. that Paxton and and McConaughey believe? I at what point and again, why would why would God do that? Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I am. That is a little sticky. Um, but I, I feel like our our main point is that you know these these children's lives were destroyed, and one of them yes. embraced uh, what this was and had a life, but in my opinion, not a not a great life out of it. And the other had nothing at all and uh, dove further into. Uh, some pretty depraved things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the shot of Fen- adult Fenton, like uh, when McConaughey is about when Ad is about to kill him, and like, he's looking at, he's just like looking mournfully at like the picture of like them as like kids with their dad. It's like so heartbreaking. I think like just like what they yeah. like, that image of n- normalcy that they had at the start and love that they had at the start of the movie just like is like only a memory. It's yeah, it's so sad. It's it's also simultaneously like just bare bones enough in a way that I like and really appreciate and then also asking very big questions where I want more. And I feel like it's also putting me in a weird spot as a viewer where I want, I love how just minuscule so much of this is in terms of a storytelling level, but then it's also making me just kind of go into places that maybe the movie doesn't want to ask me, but also I feel like it is trying to ask me at the same time. It's a very confusing uh, film for like I, I can't think of another movie on this podcast where I've been so kind of baffled by my own reaction to it and what the movie's try if the movie's trying to make me ask these big questions or have me be a little more grounded often in the same scene or even what I'm walking away from it and I don't know it, it, you know I think that's a great thing to leave a movie this kind of in such a middle ground because it 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 it, it it clearly shows that like it's doing its job in some way. I just don't know how much there, there, uh, there is there. Or if I'm asking big questions and it's just trying to be like, no, 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 it's a little smaller scale than that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, 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 I don't know what the, if it's trying to be a piece of Southern Gothic genre entertainment or this existential thing or both. And it, I don't know what is an appropriate response for me to have. If that makes you know, like oh, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it's open. Like you're saying, it's opening up a, 
lot of can of worms and it's also very straightforward at the same time. So it's very hard to be like, okay, well it, it's telling me this, but it's also laying these, these seats along the way, but it doesn't really need that for the end reveal and all of that. So, I mean, I totally understand, um, thinking that it's, it's giving you more, maybe not enough or something like that. And the conundrum of that, I totally get that. But I do like your point about the score uh, changing the tone of the, the ending scene. Like, and also, like, it's it's creepy, too, how much so much... I mean, Fenton even, like, remarks, it's like a kid, it's like, it's broad daylight that we're kidnapping this guy. It's like, it is scary, mm-hmm. like, when these scenes are taking place in broad daylight, just sort of, like, the incongruity of that. And, like, I think having... But, like, having the score be, like, like, these ominous strings, and uh, it is, like, it, it does leave you with sort of, like, a feeling of ambiguity. And, again, like, how well the movie deals with that ambiguity, it's... And how deep that ambiguity goes, that's, that is a worthwhile question asking. But the fact that it's there in the first place is is interesting, I think. It, it um, also completely justifies Bill Paxton using his kids as bait for that particular character. Because Bill Paxton has right. seen visions of the fact that this person preys on children. You know, well, has, like, he, has he seen them yet at that no, point? No, no, it's when he touches them. I no, guess he yeah. hasn't. No, you're right. Because then he touches them and then he gets confirmation. But we also don't know entirely what God has presented him with. Right. It's just the names, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, that is interesting, though, that it is like that, that you find out that's what it is. And like the kids are used as bait. That, yeah. Interesting. To tie that back again, the last shot is Adam with his partner who is pregnant and... Is he gonna raise his kid to do the same thing his dad did? You know? I mean, oh, he course. insists. He insists that he, it's done. That, like they don't have to worry about it. But like, who knows? Like, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. How how much do I believe that God is not going to test them and have the child uh, reject this completely insane story that he's being presented? And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, or he's raised in and and, and becomes just as horrific as Adam. Yeah. yeah. And I do think it's good storytelling to a certain extent that the person that he, I mean, you mentioned this in your summary, Kevin, that the person that he decides not to kill and kill his dad instead is just overtly the biggest piece of shit. (laughs) Like, he's, he's an absolute, like, okay, this guy is clearly abusive, he hates women, like, all of this stuff. And then, like, like, that's very blunt, and then, but then you think back about all the other people and there's no context there. Like, I, it's, it's weird. I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't want this movie to be longer. I think it's good. I just, it, I don't know. I also have to, like, I mean, I mentioned it on the pod, but I'm also someone who has been raised by agnostic parents and doesn't really have, I often wrestle with films about people connecting with, um, any any form of spirituality so i just want to lay that on the table maybe that's another reason why i'm wrestling with this so much but yeah i i, I don't know you're saying <laughs> your opinion on this is uh pretty frail is that oh, what you're saying brother. i think this movie i i think this movie's good i think yeah. bill paxton is a is, you know it's a good directorial debut i love bill paxton as an actor too and i certainly think it is something worth chewing on and you know I'm probably going to be chewing on it, even though I saw it 15 years ago for the first time. And now I'm g- it's not going to leave my brain anytime soon. It's just but I am also trying to tell myself as I'm just saying all this out loud. Sometimes it's a good thing to have a movie like this where, you know, you don't have all the answers. And even if it frustrates you, it's kind of rare that we get something like that. Mm-hmm. So 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm ultimately left uh, more than anything else with just the discomfort of it. Uh, yes. The discomfort yes. that, that God is equating all of these things and setting all of these things in motion and is all, all powerful, but is acting through, uh, you know, one small family that will completely annihilate itself through this. 100%. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Once again, thank you for listening.